Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to episode 37 of the I Brew My Own Coffee podcast. We're the podcast for people who care about coffee. And I'm your host, Brian Sheely. Joining me today, as always, is my good friend. He is my co-host. He is the Frisbee fanatic and AeroPress advocate, Mr. Brian Bikey. Hello, Brian. Salutations, Brian. <laughs> I, I was... Uh, I was severely impressed by our listenership uh, over the past couple weeks since the last episode where we talked about the AeroPress. Um, there was a couple of folks out there who actually uh, tried to draw a diagram or a picture of what it was that the AeroPress must look like based solely on your description. Was of there it. more than just the one? I saw Josh's, I thought. But... Yeah, I saw I saw the one, and then there was a whole slew of people trying to figure out like what on earth it must look like. Uh, just from your description, so it's pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, lots of frisbees and and various things like that. That one Josh made was pretty hilarious. If I just saw that a picture of that with no context, I'd have no clue what it is. <laughs> so I think if somebody was listening to it with no context, they probably have no clue what it was. We'll uh, we'll try to drop a link to that in the show notes here. Um, so last week we talked about the AeroPress. This episode we're talking about pour-over brewing, focusing a little bit more on uh, some other methods of brewing coffee at home manually. Um, But before we get too far into that, we're going to start out, as we always do, talking about the coffee that we're brewing. So, Brian, what you brewing? So, uh, I got two coffees in recently from Goshen Coffee, a longtime fan of Argus and Goshen and what he's putting out uh, in his series of coffees. And he sent out two Coffees from Peru, the Augusto Lano and the Andres Ruiz. Two coffees from Peru, and I'm not going to lie. When I get a coffee in from Peru, I'm, uh, I'm a little reserved because my experience normally with coffees from Peru is that they're going to be nutty and they're going to not really please. I, I guess would be the the best way to say it. I've I've had a lot of Perus that ha- just haven't hit and been too exciting. I think a lot of people are getting the uh, impression that Brian is not a huge fan of nutty coffees, which you know is, is the case for a lot of folks, I guess, out there probably as well. Part of the difficulty with that is not only it's not necessarily about it being a nutty coffee; it's giving the impression that it's an underdeveloped nutty coffee. Right. So my if I get a coffee and it tastes just like a like peanut or peanut butter, I don't often get that creamy, enjoyable feeling from mm. it, right? I get – it's a little dry, just dry and nutty and kind of gross. And so I initially either think it's some weird roast thing or it's underdeveloped. That That's usually where my mind goes with some of these nutty coffees. And, and But to be honest, again, some of the coffees I've had – that that's what they've tasted like. They've mm. just not been enjoyable. Now, these two coffees that, that Goshen have are very different from that. And I was surprised because one of them is a little lower elevation than the one that was, was it in the 1800s? So I went first to the higher elevation coffee. And I thought to myself, okay, well, this, this, will, this could be interesting. It could have some nice uh, characteristics to it. And it did. It was a little cleaner of a coffee. It reminded me uh, it had a little grape sweetness off the bat it was kind of floral it was clean it was delicate had some good juiciness to it so that was that gave me a very good impression of this coffee and it's not the first 
good Peru that I've had this year, though. So uh, my expectations this year, I've seen a lot of people talk about their excitement for their Perus they're offering this year. So I think quality is kind of picking up. So uh, that that was the first one. And then I went to the lower elevation thinking, okay, a little bit more subtle. It's going to be a little bit more balanced. You know, it's going to have a little less complexity. But I actually think that was uh, the one that I preferred. And I think that was the the Andres. It was really nice off the bat. It was balanced but had a juicy sweetness. And it mentions tobacco. And I kind of got that in the end, but mainly when it was at its hottest moments. And then otherwise it was – it had a lot of caramel to it. It had a nice creamy body. And the front of it rem- reminded me of plum or grape, a little lemon to it, so some and some light citrus, and then just clean fruits. It was creamy. I really liked it. It grew really balanced, really creamy, a little juiciness to it. I It was harmonious, I thought. like Everything just kind of played really well together. At the very end, it was kind of a sweet almond, like a grape drink a little lemon, and just a little bit of that tobacco. And that I think that was actually my preference of them, but both of them really, really impressive. I was really happy with with those coffees. Yeah, I, I got those in as well. And I was, uh, I, so far, I've only gotten to the Andres Ruiz, the one that you were just talking about, the lower elevation one. It's actually uh, 1680 meters above sea level. Um, so not super, super low, but definitely lower than the other one. Um, that's actually so far the only one that I've gotten to. The other one, uh, the Augusto uh, Luano, I, I went to brew this afternoon on the AeroPress in my office. And uh, one of the first times in a really long time that I totally dumped an AeroPress all over my desk. Oh, man, that's a bruise bruise right bruise, there. Bruise bruise, right? <laughs> it was so embarrassing. I'm, I'm, I was glad that nobody walked by and saw me. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, that coffee ended up all over my all over my office floor. Nothing makes a coffee geek lose their credibility more Seriously. than someone walking by and just seeing a mess. Everywhere. Literally like hands covered in coffee grounds. They already think that you're an idiot with all your crap and your contraptions and stuff, <laughs> right? And then they see a huge mess and coffee all over the place. It's too bad. Um, so for my pick uh, this episode, I'm going to choose a Colombian coffee and – Colombia's right now literally are just like blowing my mind. I've had a lot of really good ones and I've got a couple in right now that I'm really excited to get into. But the one that I've had most recently that I loved uh, was from Arcade Roasters. I've had a couple coffees from them so far and I've really enjoyed what I've had. But Arcade Roasters, this is the Colombia Nariño. It's super good. It's a lot of like floral, definitely has uh, a lot of sweetness the body of it is more like it's more like a tea almost it, so it kind of has that maybe panama like geisha kind of thing going on really floral definitely a sweet coffee and we had that actually this morning on the chemex in the office and got a lot of really positive comments on it even from some of the people who enjoy more of like the chocolatey and nutty coffees in the office that's what's up so we got a lot of cool feedback from the last uh, episode on the AeroPress, and a lot of you guys have been brewing on the AeroPress. We've seen tons of people posting their recipes, posting uh, comments, and and all the different things about brewing on the AeroPress. It's really cool. Uh, thanks everybody for doing that. Yeah, we, we we had just mentioned the last podcast. You had just mentioned in passing at the very end the whole Monday AeroPress Club thing. Yeah, I think it was towards the end. Yep. That I was 
kind of kicking off and just kind of flirting around with. And we encourage some other people to pick up on it. And we've had two Mondays of that since that episode dropped and they've been pretty popping. Yeah. And so we were trying to figure out what exactly we wanted to do with that. And we actually have a little section now on I brew my own coffee, the website, or if you just go to Monday club, and we had a guy who he made a little um, typography uh, PNG that you can overlay on your pictures. There's a couple of different styles for that. And we have it feeded so that it just shows people's pictures that tag Monday Aeropress Club. So a lot of people have been joining in. And it is. It's really fun because I think people are posting more about what the recipes are. And, and people kind of go to that tag and then just kind of feed off each other's ideas or recipes. And it's kind of an interesting place to go just if you want to troubleshoot or you want to find something new to play with. Speaking of finding new things to play with, uh, we didn't actually talk about it on the last episode, but uh, you have spawned an entire following of people now to start brewing a very specific recipe with a kind of interesting name, uh, the Stubby. Is the Stubby. The Stubby. So what, what's the big deal with the Stubby? Why, you is, know what? why is this recipe becoming so big? It's interesting. It's funny because the AeroPress competitions are going on right now. Obviously, I'm not participating, so it, I can't even say that it's a good recipe because sure. I can't. I'm, I'm not Well, it's a good it recipe. I've, I've enjoyed it the, but, the few uh, times so, I've done it. So I was I was wanting to try something different a couple of weeks ago, and I I just was thinking maybe I'll do one of the the Aeropressos that we were talking about, right? So right. just like a a, sh- a shot through the Aeropress or like something, super concentrated. Yeah, and I had a, I had actually I made that decision after I already put coffee in the hopper to grind, so or or had already maybe no maybe I didn't grind it already, but I already had it in the hopper, and it was more coffee than I normally would do for an Aeropress, so. I was like, ah, I got 25 grams of coffee. I'll just, I'll use it and let's see what's up. So I wanted to do something a little different. So I, I pushed the plunger up a little bit more to have a little bit more or a little less room, a little bit more restricted. It would limit the water I put in there. So I had 25 grams of coffee. I started filling it up and I was like, ah, go to 150. That That's about to the top. And that's an even number, right? It's a six to one ratio or something. That, that could make a nice intense drink. So I was doing an inverted put the cap on just using a paper filter. And then uh, I kind of pushed down on it a little bit while it's still inverted until it started to kind of bubble through the filter just a little bit. And that's just so that there was no extra room. So when I turn it over, I don't know if you've ever seen those water toys with the bubbles, but when you turn it over, it just kind of slow, it more slowly goes to the top of the other end. That was the step that got over all over my desk, by the way. Oh, gosh. was the pushing it down part. <laughs> Yikes. But, yeah, so it just kind of it takes away the gap of space that might otherwise be in there that causes kind of a, a bigger splash, and a, it's a slower agitation. So I just flipped it over, and then I plunged it out. I, I took my TDS of that just to have a reference, and I, I tried it, and I was like, hey, you know, this is, this is not too bad. Like, it's a, a little stronger. In the mornings, I make these long blacks or whatever. So it's a shot or shot and a half of espresso with maybe three ounces of water added Mm -hmm. to it. It's kind of been me and Kristen's go-to drink. And so it was kind of modeled after that, but with an AeroPress. So I tried it, whatever it's the base concentrate would be. And it was enjoyable. It was clean, but it was intense. And so I'm like, well, I'll post fill some water. So I added 50 grams of water. It was a little tamer, but still a little strong. So I went up to a hundred. So at this point, it's a total of 250 water, but Obviously, you know, it's less than that because some of it's kept up in the puck. But 
Uh, it's 150 that you put in the AeroPress. You did a post fill of 100, and it's it's unlike any other AeroPress that I had brewed on, right? So it's it reminds me of a filter version of the Americano long black that I drink, right? So it's, I, I find the taste to be a combination of what you would like in an espresso and what you'd like in like a pour over a V60 and they kind of merge together. So it's a little intense, but it's very clean. And it doesn't actually remind me hardly at all of an AeroPress. The first time I did it, I was, I was actually shocked. Like this doesn't even taste like anything I've ever had that comes out of an AeroPress. Right. And I didn't say it, but it's a, it was a minute brew. So we can, yeah, it's super link, fast. Link to something like, or put the details in the show notes. But it's super fast, and I, I started noticing the more coffees I put through it. I did the Goshen coffee that I just talked about in mm-hmm. it, and a bunch of other coffee. I did both those Goshens and several other coffees, but it was really consistent. So that recipe worked on a variety of types of coffees, and a lot of times I notice, you know, immersion brewers they don't do well with, let's say, like a washed uh, Ethiopian or something. Sometimes it because you like that the clean. Uh, stone fruit and floral and sometimes uh, an immersion method I, I find it a little muddy but I I did a couple of those this way I did Spy House's Juan Pena just a variety of coffees and I started noticing man there's some good clarity that's jumping in this and a clarity that again that I didn't usually find in AeroPress so I, I did I put um I sent it directly to you like in text and a couple other people uh, Liz Chai said hey if you, you know brew this up or do you know just couple of people I, sh- I shot it out to, and then I just decided when I made a post, hey, let me ask other people to try it too, just to see what their experiences are. I mean, that's, I don't yeah. remember if that was Monday AeroPress Club or not, but I just, hey, let's get it out there. Let's get other people chewing on it just to see, especially, you know, if I have good results and some people have mediocre results, let's, let's see what, pe- and, but a lot of people are trying, a lot of people really impressed with it. So this is the I Brew My Own Coffee podcast, and the very last episode we did was all about the AeroPress, was about full immersion brewing, um, and you know we kind of wanted to to really focus a little bit more in these in these couple episodes here about ways to brew at home. Uh, you know, a bunch of episodes ago we did actually talk with Steve Reinhardt from Prima Coffee about some of the tools that somebody might need to get started in brewing. Um, and so we we kind of covered some of these discussions in that episode or those series of episodes, uh, but we really do want to focus just for a little bit here about brewing and how to do that, what it looks like, what gear you need, um, what we've been uh, enjoying ourselves. And so last episode, we talked about the AeroPress, which is a super versatile, really you know awesome brew method that it seems like a lot of folks really enjoy. Um, but this episode, we're going to be talking about pour over brewing, brewing coffee by hand is, is probably one of the, the easiest things to do. Um, you don't need a really expensive machine. You don't need a robot to do it for you. I'm going to put you on the spot again. Hopefully we don't talk about Frisbees now. Um, (laughs) give me a rundown. What is the big difference between pour over brewing versus the full immersion brewing that we were talking about with the AeroPress? So with a pour-over brewing, you are pouring water through the coffee bed. And so you're kind of relying on the speed at which you're pouring and the particle size to allow the water and coffee to interact for a certain amount of time and then end result in your cup. That's, I mean, I guess the easiest way to explain it. Sure. In a full immersion brew... 
the coffee and the water are in contact for the entire time. And then, you know, you either remove the grounds or you plunge them to the bottom if it's a French press or you push the coffee out if it's an AeroPress or something like that or a siphon, you draw it down. But with a pour over, it's just going through that coffee bed. So it's about finding that right balance to to get that cup the way you like it. And what's ideal about pour over coffee is your control of every parameter, right? You're, you can control the water temperature and the flow rate of the water, the particle size of the coffee, how much coffee you use, how much water you use, how much time it takes to do that. The problem with pour over coffee is how hot the water is, <laughs> the flow rate that you use the course so it's a it's a pro and a con it's it's great because you have complete control right but uh what can be seen i guess as a negative a little bit is uh sometimes it you do need to uh figure out how to make your brews uh consistent and repeatable or else you might have varying results i'm noticing more and more that coffee shops are getting away from pour over brewing yeah and going toward um, like Fetco's or automatic brewers in their in their shops, and I don't think that's necessarily a knock against pour overs, like that they don't like the pour overs or they don't like these brew methods. But like you said, there are so many variables there in play. You know, having to focus on a cafe at any given time and and all of the customers that you might be dealing with and moving people in and out. The fussiness of a pour over is probably not something that a lot of coffee shops really can consistently guarantee that they're always going to be producing reliable, great results. And and I, I think that's the reason why a lot of these coffee shops have moved away from pour over brewing um, in preference to some of these other automatic brew methods. Which is interesting because there, there are different, there are different models all over the place. Like you said, some, they just do Fetco. Some will use brewers that their automated, let's say, let's call them automated pourers into yeah. what is still a pour over device like a Chemex or a Kalita or a V60 or something. Sure. And then others like I want to say maybe Mission Coffee in Columbus I went to or Barista Parlor. Uh, some of these are actually kind of fun and actually they might be getting away from them. But when I had visited them, they actually tailor the menu to, you know, what method they think highlights the coffee best. Hmm. And that's still kind of fun if you can find one of those around. So you yeah. might have a couple of filter menus or a couple of filter coffees on the menu and one might be a Kalita and one might be an AeroPress and one might be a Siphon and one sure. might be a Chemex or something. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, I bring that up really mainly because, you know, I learned about pour-over coffee from a coffee shop, you know, from an actual shop that, that does this on a regular basis. And so I think as a tool enabling home brewers to make their coffee at home, pour-over co pour coffee is perfect. I mean, if you're the only one making coffee for yourself or maybe for your family and you don't have a line of people out the door, like, you know, you can really focus on making coffee by hand at home without sort of all of the concerns that cafe owners and coffee shop owners have to consider when, when they're choosing how to brew right. their coffee. And, and a lot of times because a cafe, they're not they're not. Well, again, it depends on the model of cafe. Sometimes they're not making one cup at a time. Right. Two cups at a time. They might make larger batches than that. However, you have the freedom, right? If you're making coffee just for yourself, you pull out a pour over cone or whatever type, and you can make a single cup of coffee. 
Or if you have guests coming over, you can use the same brewer and you could brew, I don't know, four or five cups of coffee. The Chemex for me is my office coffee brewer of choice, you know, because it can it can scale up to really large quantities of coffee fairly easily. Um, and so I every day at work, I brew six, eight cup Chemexes, you know, and, and throw them in a bunch of these thermal insulated carafes from Zojirushi and, you know, set them out for folks to enjoy throughout the day. And, you know, that's something you can do fairly easily with, with a pour over brew method is make larger batches or, you know, find a, a variant of that device that can actually just make a single cup just as easily. So, you know, that means basically there's a few, or actually there's more than a few, there's a lot of different types of pour over uh, devices. So we're going to cover three of our favorites and you might have a favorite uh, that we aren't going to cover. And so if, if we totally miss the pour over brew method that you love and you enjoy, let us know on social media. We'd love to continue talking about it. Uh, but we're going to talk about the three probably most popular pour over brew methods. That's the Chemex, the Kalita Wave, and the Hario v V60. Are these methods like really functionally different from each other? I mean, or, or could you just say that one is just about as good as the other one? So I've used both filters of the other brewer in the other one, right? If I've not had a Chemex filters, I've like doubled up V60 filters or if I've, I go to ground for a V60 or something and I, I'll, and I don't have V60 filters, I'll put a Chemex filter in there. Now the Chemex is iconic and it's a, it's a two in one thing, right? It is, it is it, formed to allow you to brew and then also to serve right. in the same thing. That's what it's not necessarily a brewer as much as it is just functions as being able to brew into it and then also serve. And what some what you might read or what some might say is what what makes a Chemex a Chemex almost like in in terms of the brew of the Chemex is the filter because it's so thick. Right. So you open the filter, it's super thick and so a lot of times at least from for my brews I find the Chemex to have the most clarity, less body. I don't want to say less body. It, there is less body, clarity, and a lot of highs, a lot of brightness. Well, I don't want to say brightness, but a lot of highs because it uh, it filters out more, right? Right. Then, then say a V60 does the the papers are thinner. Now, both of them, and sometimes you'll see a lot of people that these are the beginner devices, right? A Chemex or a V60 for a lot of people, and they're the most common that you hear named thrown around there. Those are the ones you usually would see in a coffee shop, or at least you used to, you know, a couple right. years ago. But um, part of the downside to that is just, they both though have a big opening in the bottom. And I started reading too after, I don't know how I didn't hear or read this before buying, but yet immediately after buying them <laughs> would start to, to see this. But part of the downside of them having the big opening is that that's where you might run into some inconsistencies with your brews because as soon as you start adding water, a lot of times it will immediately start to drain through the bed of coffee and and start ending up in the bottom, right? So having that big opening, if your grind's not dialed in or you're not, you're not, the water flow is not, if it's too fast or something like that, you might under extract your coffee. Because if it's too coarse, if you're pouring too fast, because it's just flowing right through the coffee bed, not spending enough time together. So that with a, let's say the Kalita wave, it has three holes in the bottom. 
So what that does is it actually, it kind of is like a brewer on training wheels in a way because it controls uh, the flow. It can only flow so fast. A lot of your Melita brewers will do the same thing. Bonmac will do something similar. Bee House. They have holes that are, they act to sort of control the flow. And when you find the right combination of your grind with, you know, your other parameters, then you can wind up with a really nice brew. So I would say, yes, those two are pretty similar to each other, but the paper filters is what makes them, I think, the most different. Yeah, with the Chemex, I just feel like the the filter is so thick that it almost holds the water up a little bit more than it would with the V60. When talking with Seth Mills, and this is something I didn't used to think about so much, there's like a zone Mm. of which you want to be ideally brewing with the Chemex, right, to get... The, the flow to be the best or sure. to get it to make the most use of it. Right. If like, like and by zone, brewer, you mean like batch size or how much yeah, coffee bat, like batch size. Like if I get, if I get the 12 cup Chemex and I'm wanting to do 10 grams of coffee to <laughs> yeah. 160 grams of water, I'm not using an appropriate brewer. Right. Right. Um, and so there's an appropriate batch size that you want to use with, with that. And the, the, the reason I think I wound up with some under extractive brews, with the Chemex more so though is because the walls, the glass walls are actually flat. Yeah. So the, the paper filter is flat, in which case you might start to run water out the sides of the filter. It's not sure. even touching the coffee bed. With all of the fussy things that there are about pour over brewing, you know, with the water temperature, the grind size, the grind uh, uniformity, um, the the age and and roast level of the coffee itself, you know, all the things that can that can play, you know, then you have your pouring technique, which, you know, as we've talked about on previous episodes about having a gooseneck kettle um, really gives you a lot of control. But even with that, the flow rate of your of your kettle or how quickly you're pouring, um, that can really control contribute to under extracted or over extracted brews. And then not only your flow rate, but also the pattern in which you pour it. So as an example for the Hario V60, you know, really should be pouring in tight concentric circles, trying to avoid the filter as much as possible um, so that you're not bypassing the brew bed when you actually pour the water through the coffee. Chemex is the same way. So kind of like you're talking about when you get this flat wall with the flat filter, and if you bypass the, the coffee bed by pouring onto the filter somehow, yeah, that can also seriously contribute to an under-extracted cup of coffee. But one thing that I noticed with the Kalita when I started picking that up and when I really started to dial in, you know, a proper ratio or extraction with the coffee, I should say, that I started to notice it was it was really consistent. Yeah. So not only was it a little forgiving. So if uh, another thing we actually haven't talked about is whether you're just doing a straight pour or your pulse pouring. And again, one thing that's cool about pour overs, you could just play. If you have a bag of coffee, you could brew it one way one day change something, brew it the next day, and then just see if you liked that difference or if you didn't like that difference. But anyway, with the Kalita, I noticed, oh, if I poured a little too fast or if I did a, a pulse pour that, you know, maybe I, I missed a bit or I overfilled here or there, it, it was pretty forgiving. And as long as I kind of kept it you know, consistent time-wise, it would produce a consistent result. And yeah. so... I I personally took to the Kalita wave 
once I picked one up, which wasn't too long after the V60 and the Chemex, and that that was kind of my brewer that I that I stuck with for a long time. I what first got me onto that was watching a video of that Nick Cho did, and just what I don't know, he would talk about the brewer. It just looked great, and to be honest, I wasn't really pulse pouring with the other brewers, which I easily can. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. I started doing that with the Kalita Wave. I would use a coarser grind with the Kalita Wave than I would for the other two devices. And I liked the results that came out of that cup by using a coarser grind and pulsing more. So I guess I will talk about it a little bit. By by changing some things up, let's say if you wanted to add pulse pouring, what that's doing is you're adding in water over several intervals. So instead of just keeping it straight, if you keep it straight in one stream, you're having a consistent agitation or very little agitation going on with the coffee bed because you're not, there's no impact happening. But if you have a pulse pour, you're adding water in different intervals. And some people, they can still pulse pour and it have very little effect on the coffee bed. But when I was doing my my Kalitas, you know, I, I would have to widen the grind a little bit to make room for the fact that I'm hitting the coffee bed several different times uh, to, and then still end up with a extraction that I, that I wanted to get. And I just liked the way that tasted, you know, but I do, I do either one. I, again, it, that's, what's great about doing a pour over one day. I'll decide, eh, I might do that. I'm going to do maybe two, two layers, mm-hmm. right? I'll do half of my brew. I'll wait a little bit, let it drain some. So I'm not just f- flooding the, the coffee bed, like a, just a ton of water over top of the coffee. And then I'll, I'll add some more. And then sometimes I'll, I'll do a little bit, do change it up a little. I like, I like uh recently Populous posted a video on Instagram that I thought was really cool. And I've heard about it before, but this was kind of the first time I really seen somebody talking about it on Instagram um, is the, the 1030 method. Have you heard about the 1030 method? No. Yeah. So it's basically, it's kind of a, a fun way to, or an easy way to remember how many, uh, how much to pour during like a Kalita brew. If you're going to do that, um, they say in their recipe, it's a one to 16 ratio, which we can talk about what that actually means in just a second. But it's basically 25 grams of coffee, 400 milliliters of water. Okay. And their 1030 method is 10% of the total amount of water during the bloom. So that actually works out. If you have 400 milliliters of water total, you know, for your entire brew, then that means you bloom with 40 milliliters. So your your 10% you're using during your bloom, and then 30% split apart into three different pulses. So you actually use 120 milliliter pulse. You know, wait for it to drain. Put in 120 more milliliters. Wait for it to drain, and then finally finish it off with the last 120 milliliters and and wait for it to drain. And so that's actually Kind of a, a nice way to remember that is 10% up during your bloom and then just break the rest of it into 30% little chunks sure. um, just so that you can have an easy way of remembering how much you actually would want to pulse pour each time. I remember I got the Kohi app when it came out and yeah. I really liked that because you could put in how much you're blooming and what what your coffee total is, what your total volume is and it it, times it all out for you it times it all out but then it tells you what target weight you want to be at at any given time nice so as it's counting down you know every 10 or 12 seconds or something like that it refreshes as to what your next target is so you can kind of keep on track if you're watching your scale 
as to what number you're ideally going to be hitting. And that's, I actually use that with nearly every larger uh, Kalita brew that I do. So maybe it's a good idea just to backtrack a little bit here, because we've talked about the Chemex, we've talked about the V60 and the Kalita wave. We've kind of gone down a rabbit hole with each of those and talked all about the variables and maybe some recipes and things. Backing up a little bit, though, um, it is important to state up front here that you know when you're actually doing each of these brew methods that your entire brew method and ground coffee are all sitting on the scale when you tear it out and zeroize it the whole thing sitting on the scale that's you know there's a lot of discussion about you know whether you just weigh uh weigh the amount of water that you're putting through it or you know if you've got this like a pour over stand maybe that doesn't actually sit on the scale you know that's also harder to to keep track of how much water you're actually putting into the brew um, the best way the easiest way to do it is just take your entire brew method and stick it on the scale and tear it out that way you know exactly how much water you're putting in and you can guarantee that you're always repeatably putting in the exact same amount of water every single time right because you could always add you know 200 milliliters more water to the brewer than you need and then take it off when it reaches a certain number and whether that makes a difference if you just stopped at a number and it was the same, right. you know, who, who really knows? But what Brian's saying is just, you know, for which is what you want with a pour over. You want to you want to start trying to make more consistent brews. So when you put it on a scale, you you just know what that number is. You know what you're hitting. And it's a you keep your variables in control like that, then you'll be able to know what you want to change because if you change all your variables at the same time, you'll never know what you're actually doing that you like and that you don't like. Yeah, it's trying to keep the whole thing repeatable. You know, it's trying to trying to make make sure that you know without a whole lot of fuss, you can make a, a you know a good tasting cup of coffee over and over and over again. If you add a whole bunch of fussing around with too many different variables all at the same time, like Brian said, it's really hard to to actually figure out what's impacting what. So trying to keep your grind size the same, trying to keep your your weight the same, um, trying to make sure the temperature of your water is the same, all that stuff, you know, the the way that you pour in every time, you know, that's actually the best way if you can keep track and pay attention to all those things. That's actually kind of why writing some of these recipes down or writing writing down what you do is also really helpful because then you can go back later on and figure out, oh, you know, obviously... I was using this grind setting and the water temperature was this and, you know, everything else. So you can, you can go back and repeat what you did before. Now, as much as I, I want to advocate, hey, you can do this super, 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 super cheap. It doesn't have to be super fussy. I do want to stay, say, though, with immersion brewers and AeroPress, a clever whatever French press, those devices, they're less picky about whether you use a gooseneck kettle or just a spouted, a, you know, a, something with a spout, a pan, whatever, because you're just adding water and then letting the, the contact time happen. Right. I do want to say, though, with a, a pour over brewer, even though I have had a couple of a couple of good brews from like a spouted kettle or something, it's it's really difficult to control the flow rate. And you usually have these big splashes of water and it's not consistent from like pour to pour usually. So with a pour over, uh, with pour over brewing, I do think 
a gooseneck kettle is kind of a you have to sure you kind of have to have one and yeah. whatever whatever kind that is you know they they make a lot of different levels from and again you can listen to the episode with Steve we talked about some that were pretty inexpensive too and even if you do like heat it up on the stove or spout it and you pour it into a different kettle that has a gooseneck just having that slower flow rate or just the control that comes from just a small amount of water and being able to pour exactly where you want it to go. Right. It's kind of crucial to pour over brewing. So with each of these methods, obviously, you know, we've got our favorite things. I, if you had to pick a favorite out of these three pour over m- methods, what would you pick? Man, this, this has changed recently. Yeah. So I, I I'm going to mention a couple of things because I want to mention the order. So I've got to give a shout out to Charles. Um, at poor Cleveland because I've been able to get some coffees from him that they're serving up there. They've been doing kind of a Nordic program thing up there or some international coffees. And so we, we talk recipes and stuff too. And my go-to was a Cleta wave brew and it was 17 grams of coffee, 276 water. Hmm. So that it's a small brew, right? And that was kind of my go-to. It was and just that's on the one eighty-five. The, the that was larger. on a one eighty-five. It could be on a one fifty-five. I just don't have it. Right. Um. So it was like a two and a half minute brew, two minute, two minutes, fifteen seconds. And for the coffees that I like, Ethiopian stuff like that, it usually was just really clean. Um. It didn't have a whole whole long time of contact, so it, it usually produces just a really nice, clean, complex, or delicate cup, I should say. Now. Then I started playing with the V60 recipe that he suggested, which is 21 or 22 grams of coffee, just depending on, you know, if you want a little more or a little less, and 350 water hmm. in a V60. And that's been producing a lot of great results. So that's actually probably what I use the most right now. And usually what I try and get a baseline for what a coffee is is that. However, he just recently told me when uh, he got me this, Kenya from Japan, he sent that to me and he was brewing it at, on a Chemex at 42 to 700. And I don't like doing that all the time though, because there's not always somebody to drink it with me. I'll brew it at home with me and my wife, or I'll brew it at work when I know some of the other guys are going to drink. But that's been a really, that gives really good results in terms of uh, a Chemex for me for a while. My Chemexes were usually good. Occasionally, again, had, like I mentioned earlier, one that uh, was a little under-extracted. This one has been hitting really, really nice. But I will say that that V60 recipe is kind of my standard profiling a coffee. Yeah. What about you? See, I I have a hard time because obviously I brew uh, eight-cup Chemexes every day at work, and I brew... Almost always the same recipe. I always do a 1 to 16 ratio on the Chemex. Just easy for me to remember. Usually produces very, very consistent, good results. So I use the Chemex probably more than any other brewer. But at home, um, I use, like you said, I, I usually don't brew large batches of coffee at home. And so I really like the the V6 D01. I probably maybe six months ago, got the V6 do one the smallest version of it, um, one to two cup brewing. I use that all the time at home. I love it. I, you know, and I got the recipe from Seth Mills. So, you know, shout out to Seth for the, for the recipe, but it's, 
12 and a half grams of coffee, 200 milliliters of water, a little short 25 second bloom. Try to finish under two minutes. And I enjoy it. I, I really like the small amount of brewing specifically because like when you get a, a coffee in and you just want to, you know, try it out and see, see how it performs to know whether or not you need to change the grind setting or how it's going to, you know, how soluble it is or all these nerdy things. Um, you know, using a very small amount of coffee is great for that, you know, cause you know, you're not going to waste a whole bunch of it, especially cause most of the time I usually dedicate a lot of the coffee bags that I get to go to the office. So I don't want to go burning through an entire bag, just trying to figure out how it tastes and how I can make it taste better. Um, so the smaller brewers for me are, are great for that. And that's also why I really like the Kalita, uh, 155 because I do a 20 gram batch on that at 320. Again, kind of my one to 16 ratio. Yeah. Let's, let's pause real quick. Yeah. I, I want to say, so when we, when we're talking like in, early in the episode, when we were talking about the Chemex, the V60, the Kalita, they have different sizes of all of these. Yes. And so the most uh, traditional, maybe I would say for Chemex is the six or eight cup Chemex. Yeah. I'd say the six cup is probably the most familiar and then the most V60, people have that one. the most common V60 is called the V60 O2. O2, right. And then the the standard Kalita is a 185. So now what Brian's just now talking about is that they actually make a smaller V60 called the O1, and they make a smaller Kalita called the 155. Now, they also make a smaller Chemex, and it's like a three cup. I will just go ahead and say it. <laughs> Don't get one. <laughs> Because it's it's a, it's they used it's different it's weird the the brew bed is like eighteen inches below where you're pouring it sits in the middle of the coffee just the the where just don't get it it's weird if it works for you awesome that's great it is weird now I will say though in other cases like with a V sixty or a Kalita I I do want to recommend if somebody like who's listening does not have a brewer and is looking to get one think about the amount of coffee you want to make. Because right. I do think, I don't have the, the V6001, I don't have the Kalita 155, but I know people who say, you know, they you try you use the brewer that is appropriate for what you're brewing. Now, I use a Kalita, and to be honest, my recipe, I said the 17276 is a half of what I normally do. My standard Kalita is 34552. So the smaller one is just half of that. Now, I should more appropriately be using the 155 because the your water to coffee bed, it's closer for contact. So you're, there's less agitation. There's less room to have inconsistency from cup to cup. And the same with the V6001. When you're doing smaller brewers, you're getting the tip of the gooseneck kettle closer to the brew bed. And so it's it's much more controlled. So if you are making just like single cups or like one or two cups or something, and like that's it, you might want to think about the smaller versions. Yeah. If you're making, you know, two cups plus, then, you know, the other ones are, you know, might be more ideal for you. But yeah, just kind of look at the brewers and see what's going to fit for you. But don't ever buy the three cup Chemex. <laughs> well, and for the Chemex, it's nice as well because you also you have the six cup, which is kind of the standard, and then the eight and the, the ten cup Chemex. They should make a 20. Could you imagine? Oh, brother. It would be awful. It would be huge. Um, but they also make a V60-03. 
Yes. Which yes, they do. Which I don't hear very many people talking about. But when I was thinking about uh, brewing for the office, that was kind of one of the things I was looking at: was do I get a really big V60 or do I just use a larger Chemex? Now you were talking about ratio, and some people might not get that. But you were talking about you like to do a sixteen to one ratio, and now what that is is water to coffee, right? And some people will say a sixteen to one, a fifteen to one, a four, and that's a way that depending on how much coffee you want to use or like ground coffee or how much water you want to use, you just do the math, the multiplication or division and figure out what the other one will be. Right. So if you have 15 grams of coffee and you want to brew a 15 to one, then 15 times 15. Now, a lot of people might see like a gold cup standard or they often hear like a 16 to one or 16.667 to one or whatever. Now, if you were to look at, and we'll, we'll throw in the show notes, like a brewing chart, you and I, we have refractometers. And so we see this graph on this graph. It will show you various corners, let's say nine corners. Like imagine the Brady Bunch, right? So right there in the middle where they have the logo, that's your, that's the zone you want to hit. I'm not going to, actually, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do another comparison thing. Someone's going to go make a Brady Bunch like extraction thing, but. Okay, so it, the, the no, it's good. I, 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 right in the middle, right dead in the center with the Brady Bunch logo. According according to Specialty Coffee Association of America, right in the center is kind of the sweet spot. So it's not too strong, it's not too weak, it's not underdeveloped, it's not overdeveloped. There's a little pocket, and so when people talk about this gold cup, now what it, what it does is there's a line that crosses through that ideal box, and it, that's where it's the longest. Yeah. So if it's a little strong or if it's a little weak, a little underdeveloped, a little overdeveloped, it's got more room to fit within the box. Now, there's nothing wrong with brewing a 15 to 1 ratio. Generally, it's going to, if you're getting, let's just say you're you're going for a similar extraction to a wider ratio then you're going to have, as a result, a stronger cup to get the same amount of extraction. So, and this might this might be over people's heads, but re- really just try and catch the, the tighter you go, the more room you have to fall out of an ideal zone. There's, le- there's less room in an ideal zone. Same with the opposite direction using, I don't know, 17 to 1, 18 to 1. So when you use these wider ratios if you don't have a a grinder that's really consistent and doesn't produce a lot of fines you might find your your brews over extract more and if you're using let's say a 14 to 1 ratio a 13 to 1 ratio or something you might find your cups more often are either really strong or they're underdeveloped because there's there's chances that they go into those zones more easily than what people like to do with like a 16 to one or 16 to half to one. Now that's kind of shifting in sure. coffee right now. We don't, and again, I don't want to take too much time talking about that. I just, I wanted to get that out there though, because I know some people and their standard is a 15 to one, but I also hear some of those people say, Oh yeah, that like the brew is kind of strong. And it has a tendency to do that just because there's less of that line, the optimum line in that window. So a conversation for another day, it really doesn't matter. I've got some brews that I do that are, you know, like really tight, some that I don't. It, it Coffees play differently at everything. And that's, I always encourage just play around and figure out what you like the taste of. Sure. You know, that's, that's the main, main, main thing. But again, if you, if you do hear people talk about kind of that, 
that little window or, you know, why people default to a 16.6667 or whatever it is to one. It's because that because of that line. Yeah. And, and there's a whole discussion about, you know, extraction and what that means and, and all of the science behind the way that water interacts with the, the coffee grounds and everything else. Um, but just know, like, if you are following someone's recipe and you're, you know, looking to get a better cup, sometimes the one variable that you actually want to play with is grind size. Actually, a lot of times the the one variable that you really want to play with, if you're going to stick with somebody's recipe and just use the ratio that they have, the the timing that they have, sometimes the the most important thing to play with is how fine or how coarse your grind settings are. Is that usually what you might tinker with as like your your number one right. variable before you'd actually change up a ratio? Definitely, and po- and because not all grinders are the same, and I mean this is completely truthful. If you have an encore. And I have an encore. I'm going to hope that they're similar settings, but I started to learn that they're not always because you have internal calibration and stuff. And so even if like an, my encore is similar to this on a on my Vario, that doesn't mean it's going to be similar to yours, right? And so that part is the one that you're always going to have to play with. Even when I was giving out the stubby recipe, like that's tricky because I said exactly what it was on my grinder or what it's similar to, but it's it's still going to have variables because all grinders are different. Right. And all particle size distribution is going to be different. And so keep that in mind that if someone gives you a recipe, like that's why it's tricky. This is a conversation I used to go back again. You know, we're going to this this podcast is sponsored by Seth Mills. <laughs> so old conversation with Seth is like, you know, he just he would talk to me about, you know, sharing recipes and stuff and how difficult it is because yeah. someone might not be able to have the same experiences. And, well, and the fact that everyone's palate's different and yada, yada, like that's a completely different story we're not going to talk about. But with grind size particularly, it's it's so hard to translate right. from one person to one person. But what's matter of is like trying to get people in the right zone. And I I can't control your flow rate, but one, one thing I've been trying to do, too, is definitely tell people a time. So if I'm doing a brew and it's ending in two and a half minutes and you're on the same grind setting that I'm using, but your brew's taking three and a half minutes, then you've got to change something to 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 speed up speed that brew. Up. Yeah. Because you're probably over-extracted, for one, and you're probably going to tell me that it tastes over-extracted, or you should, because it's taking a minute longer than it should compared to what I'm getting, if you're wanting to try and hit that same ballpark. So sometimes time is going to be a little bit better. But again, uh, there's not enough time. There's not even enough time to talk about it right now in this episode because if someone's pouring too fast, it's going to go faster. So there's uh, there's a lot of parameters. Don't take any of the fact that there are a lot of parameters as reasons to not be interested in pour over brewing them. Exactly. Because and we, we haven't even, even brought up the fact, though, that what pour over tastes like right compared to other brewers i don't think we've even mentioned that and that's ex- that's exactly where i was gonna go a filter <laughs> what we should have said an hour ago a filter brew as compared to an immersion brewer is a clean cup of coffee it has good clarity it's got nice body to it um it's not muddied it's just yeah you just have a clean cup because there's no sediment at all right all gone assuming you're using paper filtration Yes, assuming you're using paper filtration because kind of a hybrid of immersion pour over, right? Like the able cone. Yeah. 
So it's a porous cone that can fit, you know, in a in a brewer and you can pour over it and it will get some sediment in a cup. So it's kind of a merge between French press and something like that. There are cloth filters, you know, like a, a wood neck. It's actually one of my favorite ways to brew, but it's a pour over, a really clean cup. I just, I didn't bring it up on this podcast because sometimes it's difficult to clean the cloth filters or buy the cloth filters to use so much different. Again, we talk about that later. Sure. You want to talk about wood necks and cloth filters you can just send us an email talk about it there but i think the 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 key thing here though is to know that pour over brewing is very accessible it's very easy for people to do at home if you're getting into pour over brewing and you you're getting frustrated just know that you know you can follow a recipe try to nail down and and meet within a time that the brew should be done you know and and probably one of the big things that you're going to be playing with is your grind setting how coarse you're grinding, how fine you're grinding, you know, that's going to change a whole lot about what the cup tastes like at the end. And so figure out what you think should be a a good tasting cup and play with the grind setting until you, until you find that that's usually going to be the, the most, you know, recommended way of sort of quote unquote dialing in a coffee is, is by changing, changing up the grind setting. Right. And you'll be working on two things. You'll be working on growing consistency in your brewing right in your your flow the way that you pour into it you'll be doing that the more you brew but also you have the flexibility of adjusting any parameter right so those are two things that are great that come from pour over brewing you learn to be more consistent with what you're doing and you learn what variables you like to tinker with and how those results change the cup so look maybe you're not a Maybe you're not a, a big fan of listening to a recipe or listening to instructions on what to do uh, for making coffee. We are going to have links, all kinds of links in the show notes um, with all the recipes, with uh, videos and walkthroughs and all kinds of things so that you can actually see each one of these brew methods in action. Um, and just know that everybody's got their own way of of you know brewing on each of these devices I'm not going to go so far as to say there is one right way of brewing on each of these devices or one correct, absolutely perfect gold standard recipe for each one of these devices. But, you know, if you follow a lot of these instructions that we give um, and some of these videos that uh, that we're going to throw in the show notes, hopefully you'll find a cup that tastes good to you that you can repeatedly and reliably get back to and just something that you enjoy. And that's the best part about pour over brewing is it tastes great. It's super cheap and very inexpensive to get into. And, you know, some of the best cups of coffee that I've ever had have come directly from pour over brewing. And if you guys have any questions in regards to, I don't know, getting into pour over brewing, trying to troubleshoot something that's going on with brewing and that in, you know, some of the videos or resources don't help, don't hesitate to shoot us a line, whether that be on social media, whether that be, on email, we have on our website, ibrewmyoncoffee.com, we have the contact that you could just submit something there. Or please, please, please go into your local shop and talk to them about it yeah. because that that's what that, that's part of what they do, right? They serve you coffee and it's to hopefully be knowledgeable to about the coffee and help get you interested because that's probably where you're going to go to buy your gear as well. You know, they might be able to walk you through a demo. You can ask them questions about stuff. So please go to your local place. Just bug them with questions. <laughs> well, cool, everybody. Thanks 
so much for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, like Brian said, please shoot us a message on our website. You can go to ibrewmyowncoffee.com. Click the contact us link at the top of the page. Uh, we are on Instagram at ibrewmyowncoffee. We're on Twitter at brewmyowncoffee. If you haven't signed up for ibrewmyowncoffee recommends, head on over to our site and sign up. It's a short survey, real super simple. And April 1st, we will shoot you uh, a recommendation of a coffee that you might like to try. Um, thanks everybody for listening and until next episode, uh, happy pour over brewing everybody. So long everybody.